About 10 years ago, my mom gave me a Christmas gift that still makes me smile to this day. That year, at Thanksgiving, our family got in our car. We drove from Orlando, Florida to Kitty Hawk, North Carolina. We met my parents there. We met my brother's family there. And we spent a week in Kitty Hawk for Thanksgiving. And we did a lot of fun things. We, we played on the big sand dunes there. We got in our cars and, and rode our cars on the beach, watching the horses run wild there on the outer banks. We toured some of the lighthouses that are there in the Outer Banks. It was a great week of vacation with, with my family. Well, that Christmas rolled around, and, and my parents came to visit us in Orlando to spend Christmas with us. And, and we were exchanging Christmas gifts. And, and as I, I prepared to open a gift from my mother, she began to smile. It was obvious that she was excited about this gift. And I opened the gift, and I, I looked inside. And when I looked inside, I saw this coffee Mug, And it's a pretty coffee mug that has some of the lighthouses on the, of the Outer Bank on it. But then it had a name on it. Chet. And my wife and I looked at each other with a puzzled look on our face. And I turned to my mom and said, Mom, who is Chet? Now, in case you're new and you don't know, Rocky is not my legal name. My, my legal name is Donald Chester. But I've never been called Donald. I've never been called Chester. From birth, I was called Rocky. That's all I've known all my life. And so my mom looked at me and she said, well, that's you. And I looked at it again and went, Chet? And she said, yes, I wanted to get you a coffee mug, but, but they didn't have one with Rocky on it. They didn't have one with Donald on it. They didn't have one with Don on it. They didn't have one with Chester on it, but they had one with Chet. And so that's your name. This is your coffee mug. Now, some of you are probably wondering, what in the world does this have to do with what I'm going to talk to you about this morning? Well, if you haven't turned there, I want you to turn with me in your copy of God's Word to Philippians chapter 2. And, and let me give you a little backstory to our passage that we're going to be focusing on on this morning. Um, Paul had, had obviously an incredible relationship with the believers who lived in Philippi. As a matter of fact, in Paul's last chapter that he wrote in this letter that he sent to the church at Philippi, he shared with them that they were the only church at one time that were supporting him in his missionary endeavors. Now, if you haven't read the book of Acts, you may not be familiar with how the church was established there. But, but Paul received a vision from God um, calling him to go to the land of Macedonia. And so he went, and, and the first place he went was Philippi, which was the leading city in Macedonia. And, and on the Sabbath day, he went there to the river, which was a place of prayer, and he began to share the gospel. And as he shared the gospel, a businesswoman named Lydia gave her life to Christ, and subsequently, her family gave their lives to Christ. They were baptized, and, and when they became believers, Lydia invited Paul and Silas and Timothy, Timothy was with them at this time, to stay with them 
while they were ministering in Philippi. And Paul had a great ministry in Philippi, but if you've read the story, you know that one day he was ministering and there was a slave girl that was possessed by a demon and, and Paul, in the name of Jesus, set her free and Paul and Silas were thrown in prison. They were beaten. They, they were left there. They were going to stand before the magistrate the next day. But while they were there in prison, they were singing and praising God and God brought an earthquake and God used that, that terrible circumstance of being beaten and thrown in prison to give Paul an opportunity to share the gospel with the jailer there in Philippi. He came to know Christ. His family came to know Christ. And Paul has some incredible um, experiences there in Philippi. As a matter of fact, as Paul opens up his letter to the church at Philippi, he says, whenever I pray for you, it brings joy to my heart because you're partners with me in the gospel. In other words... They had not just experienced the gospel themselves, but when they had experienced the gospel, when the gospel of God, the light of God's love had penetrated their heart, they became partners with Paul in that gospel ministry. And so that takes us to the passage I want us to to read this morning in Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 14. And I'm going to read this from the New Living Translation. You you can follow along with me, but I want you to listen to what it says because I'm convinced that this translation best captures what Paul was trying to say here. He says, in everything you do, stay away from complaining and arguing so that no one can speak a word of blame against you. You are to live clean, innocent lives as children of God in a dark world full of people who are crooked and perverse. Shine out among them like beacon lights or like lighthouses, holding out to them the word of life. I want us to pray together as we get started this morning. Father God, I am convinced that you have laid on my heart that this is our year. This is the year that you have called us more than ever to penetrate the darkness in our communities, in our city, in our state, and in our nation. And Father, as you have called us to be light, I pray that we'll be faithful. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now let me say on the front end, before we get started, that I'm going to ask you this morning to step out of your comfort zone. I'm going to ask you this morning to join with me, to join with the other pastors at our church and make a commitment to be lighthouses in 2014. As I was praying during the month of December about what I believe God wanted us to focus on in 2014, if if we were going to make the impact that God wanted us to make, God reminded me of two of our core values, and I believe God was saying to me that those core values are pivotal to our success in doing what God wants us to do in 2014. The first core value had to do with prayer. I want you to listen to what that core value says. It says, we believe that prayer connects us with the presence and the power of Almighty God. It is through prayer that the lives of people, the church, communities, and nations can be changed, bringing salvation, healing, comfort, and God's blessings. Now, I want you to hear what that says. It is through prayer that God changes lives. 
Prayer is the foundation of everything we do. Prayer is the first thing that we do. Prayer is the most important thing that we do. That's why Jesus said, my house should be called a house of prayer. That's why the Apostle Paul said, you should be devoted to prayer. You should be committed, passionate about prayer. So God laid on my heart prayer. And then the second um, core value that God laid on my heart was, was evangelism. I want you to listen to that core value. We believe every Christian is called to be a witness in the world. We should consistently, prayerfully, and intentionally share our faith through both our words and our deeds. We should consistently, prayerfully, and intentionally share our faith in our words, what we say, and in our deeds, how we live. You see, each and every one of us is called to be a witness. Each and every one of us are called to be great commission disciples. And here's what I believe. If we as a church will partner together in 2014 to be the people that God wants us to be in our communities, first of all, And then in our city, the surrounding areas, our state, our nation, God will do something in us and through us that we have never seen before. God is calling us to be lighthouses in a dark world. God is calling us to be beacons of light in a dark world. Now, let's look at our passage because as we look at this passage this morning that that Paul shares with the Christians at Philippi, he shares three truths, one about the world in which we live, and then two about how you and I are to live in this world that I believe are very important to what God wants us to do in 2014. First of all, we live in a dark world. Notice what it says in verse 15. We live in a dark world full of people who are crooked and perverse. We live in a dark world that is filled with people who are both crooked and perverse. Now, now that word dark doesn't appear in the original translation, but the Bible makes it clear that you and I live in a dark world. Jesus said in, in John 12, I've come into the world as light so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. And so what Jesus was saying is, until you know Jesus, you are what? You are in darkness. God told Paul that he, he, this is what he said. He said, I am sending you to them to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to the power of God, so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who were sanctified by faith in me. And so God said to Paul, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go out into a world that is dark, and I want you to bring the light to them. Paul said to the Christians in Ephesus, you were once in darkness, but now you are the light of the Lord. And then he went on to say this, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and the authorities and the powers of, hear what he says, this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So Paul says, you and I are in a battle 
and we're waging war against the rulers, the principalities, the spiritual forces of this dark world in which we live. And then Peter told the church in 1 Peter, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. You see, the Bible is crystal clear that the world in which we live is a dark world. But the question is, what does that mean? I mean, when the Bible says that the world is dark, when the Bible says that before we know Jesus, we are living in darkness, what exactly does that mean? Well, here's what darkness is. Darkness is simply the absence of light. That's what darkness is. Darkness is the absence of light. Now, I want to remind you what the Bible says. The Bible says God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. Jesus said this. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. And so darkness is simply life without God. Darkness is life void of the influence of God. Darkness is living our life independent of God. And understand, when we live our life independent of God, our lives, and subsequently our world becomes increasingly dark. And it sure seems to me, it may not to you, but it sure seems to me that our world is getting progressively darker and darker and darker. The light seems to be growing more and more dim. Now, Paul uses two words to describe the darkness. The first word is the word crooked. The Greek word is scoliosis. It's the word from which we get our word scoliosis from. And you know that word means crooked. It means bent. And and typically it refers to a crookedness that, that is on the inside affecting our skeletal structure that is seen on the outside. And so what does that word mean to us spiritually? It's talking about a crookedness, a a, a bitness spiritually that is on the inside of our life. This word here isn't referring to our lifestyle. It's not referring to our actions. It's not referring to how we live. It's referring to the inmost part of who we are. It's referring to our heart. And the Bible says that we are living in a world that is crooked, bent, distorted. Not the way that God intends for it to be. Our hearts are crooked when it comes toward God. And then he uses the word perverse. Now the word perverse means literally to distort or to turn away. It's it's willful rebellion. That's what it means. It means to make the choice, to make the decision... To live life independent of God. To do what we want to do rather than what God wants. And so understand, this is what Paul was saying. The dark world in which we live is dark because first of all we're crooked. On the inside, our nature is bent 
when it comes to our relationship with God. And, and that bitterness in our relationship with God makes its way to the surface so that we turn away from God in the way that we live. And so we're living in a dark world that starts on the inside of each individual as, as we're born with this, this disease, this birth defect called sin. And, and sooner or later in each and every one of our lives, that, that birth defect called sin that, that causes us to be born crooked and, and bent, uh, not like God intended, sooner or later that birth defect called sin will show up. So that each and every one of us will, will not be straight like God wants, but we will be bent and distorted, not like what God wants. Because we're living life independent of Him. Now there are some people today that have this idea that, that our world is getting better. That the light is getting brighter. And let me say, there, there are some ways that that the world may be getting better. Scientifically, the, the world is better off today, I believe, than it was 2,000 years ago. We've made great strides in medicine to the fact that there are things that we know how to treat today that we didn't know how to treat 100 years ago. And if you go to the doctor and, and they diagnose you with a certain disease or ailment and, and now we have a cure for that disease or ailment because of those scientific um, discoveries, then you're going to be thankful that we are scientifically better than we were 100 years ago, 500 years ago, 1,000 years ago. Technologically, the world may be better than it was 100 years ago. I mean, it's crazy. We were on our way back from Lynchburg. We drove up to Lynchburg Friday and drove back last night. And, and my daughter and son-in-law and grandson were stuck in an airport in Cleveland and so as we were driving on the road last night back to Lexington, my wife FaceTimed with my daughter on her phone. She was in Cleveland. We were somewhere between here and, and Lynchburg. And, and we could see my daughter, but more importantly than that, we could see Noah, our grandson, and we could just, we could see one another face to face. Now, now, let me just say, 10 years ago, you may have been able to do that, but I couldn't. I mean, and that's pretty cool. Especially when you have people you love who, who are living far away. So, technologically, things may be better. But understand, morally and spiritually, our world is getting progressively worse. In, in my lifetime... I have seen things, and, and I'm not a, a prude, I, 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 I'm, I'm very grounded in my values, but I'm not a prude, and, and yet I've seen things that, that society, years ago, when, when I was a teenager, even though people would do it, society knew it was wrong. <laughs> and, and, and though people did it, everybody knew they shouldn't do it. And now it seems like those things that just 20 years ago we knew were wrong, we now say are right. The, the things that we knew we should avoid, we, we now say you should embrace. Now, now why is that? The reason is because the light is growing more and more dim. 
Paul talked about this in 2 Timothy chapter 3. He said in 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 1, he said, Know this, in the last days perilous, difficult times will come. And then in verse 13, he said this. He said that before Christ returns, evil men and false teachers will become worse and worse, deceiving many. And I believe that's so true. There are people today who are telling us, people that we believe, people that we respect, who are telling us that, that we should embrace what, what God clearly says we should avoid. And, and why is that? I mean, why is it that, that that's happening? It's because the light is becoming more and more dim. And the darkness is becoming more and more prevalent. We live in a dark world. And so in light of our living in a dark world, how are we as Christians to respond to that? Well, listen to what Paul says. First of all, he says we are to live clean lives. Listen to what he said. In everything you do, stay away from complaining and arguing so that no one can speak a word of blame against you. You are to live clean, innocent lives as children of God. Now that word do is in a tense which emphasizes this is a continual practice. This isn't something you do one time and mark it off your bucket list and say, I've done this. No, this is a habit that you develop in your life. Now, this is the amazing thing. The first thing Paul deals with when he talks about how we're to live in a dark world is our attitude. He says we are to do everything without complaining and arguing. I don't think most of us realize how important our attitude is to an observant world. You see, there are people watching us. And they're not only watching what we do, they're watching how we act and how we react and how we respond. Now, those two Greek words for complaining and arguing, they're interesting words. The the word for complain was a word that was used to describe the cooing of doves. Coo, 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 coo. It's a low-grade murmuring, a low-grade grumbling. Have you ever been around someone like that? I mean, they always find something to complain about. I mean, they're the president of the complaint department. It's too cold. It's too hot. It's too bright. It's too dim. The carpet's too brown. The carpet's too blue. Your house is too big. Your house is too small. Some people find a variety of things to complain about. And that's the first word. It's talking about someone who constantly finds something to grumble about. Grumble, 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 grumble. And then he uses the word arguing. And arguing is what it says. It's those people who aren't happy unless they're in an argument with someone else. Someone said it this way. These people were born in an objective mood and they were winged on dill pickles. They were born in the objective mood and they were winged on dill pickles. Now let me ask you a question. Do you like to be around negative people? I mean, do you? I mean, if someone is constantly complaining about every little thing, Uh, No matter what you say, you know, they've got a different opinion on it. Do you like to be around people like that? Well, if you don't like being around people like that, do you think lost people enjoy being around people like that? I think, I could be wrong, but I think in America, 
not in other parts of the world, but in America, one of the primary reasons that people are, are less likely to come to Christ is because they know people who say they've come to Christ. And they look at them and they're miserable. They're whiners and complainers. They're always Debbie Downers. No offense, Debbie. (laughs) They're just never happy. So he first of all talks about our attitude. We need to have a good attitude in the world because people are watching us. And then he talks about our actions. And he uses three words. He uses the word without blame, clean, and innocent. Now, without blame doesn't mean sinless, but but what it does mean is there's nothing in our lives that, that the world can find fault in. He's talking about our testimony in the world. And I don't want to open up a can of worms here. And, and this isn't a debated issue, but, but yesterday, or the day before yesterday, my father posted on Facebook an, an article on, on social drinking. And he just posted the article, and then he said, enough said. You need to understand that, that my father is, is a former Marine who loved the taste of alcohol and, and was a drinker, and, and he even has told me multiple times, you know, I could really enjoy the taste of alcohol today. But he stopped drinking in the Marines because he saw someone kill a person because of alcohol. And um, and the the article talks about, it it, it may not be a sin to drink, but it talks about is it the wise thing to do because of our testimony in the world. Now, now, I'm not going to debate that and argue that with you, and that's not the purpose of what we're talking about today. But, But I am here to say to you that you and I need to understand that That a lost world is watching us. And we should live in such a way that when a lost world looks at us, they don't find anything that finds fault in our life. Now, the word clean refers to a metal without impurity. It refers to wine that hasn't been diluted. So it's talking about 100%. It's talking about someone who is all in, someone who is fully committed, someone who is totally devoted, someone who's completely sold out. And he says, you need to be blameless, you need to be clean, and then you need to be innocent. Now, that word innocent means that there's nothing God could rebuke you for. And so God tells us that's how we're to live. We're to watch our attitudes, what we think that leads you know, our, our facial expressions to reveal things, our, our mouth to reveal things, and our actions, how we live in a dark world. But that's not enough. It's not enough to live a clean life because I would dare say that, that most of us here who, who call ourselves Christ followers, who, who have been saved by the cross of Jesus Christ, the sacrifice that he made, most of us are probably trying to live clean lives. We're, we're trying to be blameless as best we can interpret scripture and and we want to be innocent when we stand before God we're trying to do that but but that's not enough because Paul says not only are we to live clean lives we are to penetrate the darkness and notice what he says shine out among them like beacon lights shine out among them like lighthouses holding out to them the word of life you see our lives the way we live may open the door But our lives in and of itself will never tell the story. 
That's why we are to penetrate the darkness. That's why we are to shine out like beacon lights, like lighthouses leading people from the safety or from sa- or to safety in this dark world. Now, notice how we're to shine in the darkness. It says, by holding out the word of life. Another translation says, you offer them the message of light. So shining out like beacon lights is not simply living a clean life. We, we saw that in the previous verse. Shining like light is holding out the message of truth to them. When you hold it out, what are you doing? You're not going to them and saying, here, read this. No, it's talking about we share with them the gospel, the good news of truth that we have experienced in our life. Now, here's what I know. If one person is doing that, it's not going to make a big difference. If a handful of people are doing that, it's not going to make a big difference. And that's what happens in most churches. You see, most churches believe, and hear me, most of us believe that that we hire pastors to shine like light in a dark world. It's our job to tell the story. So on Sunday morning, you better be prepared to tell the story. When we have visitors visit our church, y'all need to go out and tell the story. Hold out the word of truth to them. And we should because we're called to do that. But understand, the Bible nowhere says that, that the pastor and the pastors are the ones that are called to shine out like beacon lights, lighthouses in a dark world. No, Everybody is called to do that. Regardless of our gifts, regardless of our personality, regardless of our interest and our ministry desires, each and every one of us are called to shine out like beacon lights in a dark world, holding forth the word of truth. On Christmas Eve, we do a candle lighting service and And if you've been here, you know that when you do that candle lighting service and you have one candle lit, the room's still pretty dark. But all of a sudden, when another candle is lit and another candle is lit and another candle is lit and another candle is lit, and before long, there are candles lit throughout the room, you sit back and you look around and you go, wow, these little candles really do light up the darkness. And you see, that's what we're called to do. You and I are called to light up our part of a dark world. So how? How do we penetrate the darkness and become lighthouses? I'm going to give you several things that I'm going to ask you to do this year. And then we're going to wrap this up and I'm going to ask you to make some commitments. First of all, we pray. What do we pray? Well, we pray for God to touch people's hearts. We pray that... People will experience God's forgiveness and love. We pray that the barriers will be removed that are keeping them from coming to Christ. We pray that the Holy Spirit will convict their lives. We pray that that God will send forth laborers into the harvest. We pray that we will be those laborers. And so we pray. We become lighthouses of prayer in our neighborhood. Now, here's where you can start. You can start by making a list of your neighbor's some of your coworkers, people like that, making a list and start praying for those people on that list. 
beginning with your neighbors, moving to your coworkers, maybe your classmates if you're in school, people like that, and you pray for them. The second thing you can do in prayer is you can begin to prayer walk your neighborhood. Some of you live in neighborhoods. If we really do believe that nothing happens apart from prayer, if we really do believe that, then what would happen if hundreds of us began to prayer walk around our neighborhoods? And we just walked in our neighborhood and we prayed for this house and the people in it. We prayed for this house and the people in it. We, we didn't try to stick out like sore thumbs. We were just walking and praying and walking and praying. And we prayed for our neighbors as we walked through our neighborhood. If not every day, every other day, every couple of days. That's something that we can all do. So we begin by praying. Then we minister. That's the second thing we do. We minister. We serve our neighbors. We become, first of all, lighthouses of prayer. Then we become lighthouses of service. Now, how do we minister to people well, with our neighbors? What we do is we've got to get to know them first, don't we? I mean, if someone else, if someone new moves into our neighborhood, what's a way that you can minister to them? You can just knock on their door, say, welcome to the neighborhood. Here's some cookies. Now, if you can't cook cookies, buy them. You know, but that's a simple thing, isn't it? Let me ask you a question. If you moved into a new neighborhood and somebody knocked on your door and said, Welcome to the neighborhood. My name is so-and-so. We wanted to bring by this cake. We wanted to bring by these cookies. Would, would Would that speak to you? I mean, that simple gesture right there would would speak to me. Uh, That's an act of service. That's ministering. And then as we get to know our neighbors, we serve them as they have needs. That's what that means. Just minister to the people in your sphere of influence who are in need. The third thing is invite. And this is something that any of us can do. We can invite a complete stranger. You've heard me share this this statistic before, but but it just blows my mind. It's from Tom Rayner, who is the president of Lifeway Resources. He said 82% of the unchurched are at least somewhat likely to attend church if invited. 82%. But less than 2% of Christians ever invite a single person to church. Over 80% of the unchurched are somewhat likely to attend if invited, but less than 2% of Christians ever even invite someone. Goodness gracious. We could have a revival in America if Christians would just invite people to church. I mean, just invite. It would change things. 98% of Christians never invite anyone to church. Can I tell you, if if church didn't mean any more to me than that, I'd sleep in on Sunday morning. I really would. Now, some of you are gone next week. I don't know why. But I'm just being honest with you. I mean, if, if church is something that God has used to influence your life, to impact your life, to, to change your life, then it's probably worth telling somebody else about. Invite. And, and then the final thing is share. This is where we share our story. And this is where the rubber hits the road. And this is where each and every one of us are called to do. And, 
And yet most of us never do. We share our story. Let me give you two verses. Daniel 12, first of all, that's not on the screen. Listen to what it says. Those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens, and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens, and they will lead many to righteousness. Isaiah 42, I am God, I have called you to live right and well and provided you as a lighthouse to the nations and I would dare say to your neighbors. So what would happen if we as a church body began to take seriously what God very clearly tells us to do? And we begin to say we're going to do it. We're going to step out of our comfort zone and we are going to be lighthouses this year. And we're not going to make some commitment that doesn't mean anything. We are going to make commitments because of the the sacrifice Jesus made. And this is serious business. It's life-changing. And we're going to do what God wants us to do because we believe that God will honor our faithfulness. And we will see him do incredible things. So this year, this is what we're doing. I want you to look up on the screen for just a second. We have had hundreds of these lighthouses made. They will be here this week. These lighthouses are about two feet tall, about about a foot wide, something like that. And what we're asking you to do individually or as a family is make a commitment in 2014 to be a lighthouse. And if you're not willing to make the commitment, don't say you are just so you'll have a lighthouse. But we're asking you, if you're willing to join with us and individually be in lighthouses so collectively we can be a lighthouse, then I'm asking you to make that commitment this morning. And what we're going to do is throughout 2014, those lighthouses are going to be on the walls with families and people's names on them. And then here's what we're going to do. This is where it gets a little interesting. As someone comes to faith in Christ, if someone reconnects with God because you have been a lighthouse and and they get plugged in here, then a beacon of light is going to shine from your lighthouse with that family's name on it. And so what we're asking you to do is we're asking you to take this seriously. We're asking you to be a lighthouse, but a lighthouse is no good unless the light shines out and the light brings people safely into the harbor. So what we want to do is, at the end of 2014, we want these walls filled with the names of people and individuals and families who have experienced light and have made it safely into the harbor because you've been a lighthouse. And so I want you to look at the bottom of your commitment card that David was talking about just a minute ago. And we're wrapping this up. I want you to look at the bottom of that commitment card. I will be a lighthouse. And I will be a lighthouse means you commit to all of those. If you're going to be a lighthouse, you just check that. Because what you're saying is, I am going to be a lighthouse. I don't know how. I'm scared. This This is really asking me to do something that I'm not comfortable with, but I know that I need to. I'm going to be a lighthouse. If you're going to be a lighthouse, you check that box. And you may say, Rocky, I'm not ready to be a lighthouse, but I will pray for my neighbors. You check that box. 
I will minister to my neighbors. You check that box. I will invite my neighbors. You check that box. But if you're willing to do all four or partner with us in doing all four, then you just take that first box. I will be a lighthouse. And here's what I believe. If we make this commitment, God will use us as individual believers, as families, and as a family of faith to absolutely change our community. Why do I believe that? Because I believe there's power in prayer. And I believe, according to the authority of God's word, that God honors the gospel being shared. And if we take it to our communities, instead of just expecting people to come here on their own, God's going to do something amazing. I want you to bow your head. I want you to close your eyes. And I want you to pray. And all I want you to do for just a moment is to ask God what he wants you to do. Ask God what he wants you to do. I'm here to tell you what he wants you to do. But I know you'll never do it until you hear from God. So if you know on the authority of God's word what you're supposed to do and you'll make a commitment, I'm asking you to prayerfully commit to be a lighthouse with us. I want us to pray right now. Father God, I know that we will never make the difference in this dark world you want us to make by shining bright here at 4347 Sunset Boulevard. But Father, I know that if we begin to shine bright and in all of our different communities and neighborhoods and streets, if we begin to shine bright in each of our workplaces, if we begin to shine bright in each of our schools, Father, I know that in 2014 we will see more people come to faith in you than ever before in our lives. And Lord, I pray that I will be faithful to the commitments I make. And Father, I pray that we will be faithful to the commitments we make. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.